Welcome to Passionate World Talk Radio. Educate, enlighten, entertain. And today on Cool Your Heels with Lillian, our special guest is Michael Nesotelli, who is a New York licensed psychologist, an author of the cyberbullying, cyberstalking, and cybercriminal mind concept called High Predator. So good afternoon, Michael. How are you doing today? Oh, thank you, Ms. Lillian. Thank you for having me on and hoping that your listeners are both online and COVID safe. So am I. I I heard stories from some of um, my granddaughters that a lot of them do not wear masks. And I said, well, I hope you stay away from those people. And they said, Daddy won't let us go. And I said, good for Dad. (laughs) I I don't understand why people don't get it yet. Yeah, I mean, for me, working, well, not where I spend my life, and thank you for mentioning I Predator, which I, I wrote over a decade ago. But, you know, here with the COVID environment, what will be interesting to see, again, we won't know until long after COVID has, uh, you know, subsided, is whether or not there's going to be an increase in I Predator attacks. Um, I Predator, as I said, is a concept I wrote over a decade ago, and it's made up of, ten, of eight different types of online aggressors. So it'll be interesting to see if whether or not there's an increase in, in I Predator. I think there will be because I know after every time there's a riot or there's violence in the streets or even from a parade or during a soccer game or some other event, people get out of hand. And they always blame it, of course, on the celebration they're celebrating. But it always seems to be there's a correlation between violence and people giving themselves permission to terrorize other people, to set fires to cars and buildings, to break store windows, to steal, and also to prey on vulnerable people who they feel they can attack and get away with. Correct. But and, and they just take it to the airwaves as a way of, I guess, covering their footsteps, so to speak. Right, and not to go into the the psychology of the online assailant, the iPredator living in a COVID world, but what we do know about COVID, obviously for all of us here, not only in this country, but globally, um, is the, the fact that there's quarantine, and with come quarantine, uh, there is isolation, and with isolation, from isolation comes boredom, from boredom becomes frustration, and as people become more frustrated, more anxious, they're more apt to engage in hostility and more apt to go online and begin to, to target other people. Oh, I can, I can best say for that. I just came out of something like that. Now, they always have profiles of criminals, what makes them who they become or what governs their actions. Do you have a profile of what person? If I may, uh, Ms. Lillian, and please know for all your, your listeners, everything at my website is public domain. Uh, is free. I have, goodness, uh, 28 different checklists and inventories that you can download without even having to give your email. So basically, if I may, is to first give the three criteria of what it means to be an iPredator. So it's not 
profiling, but it allows your, your listeners to maybe sit back and think about whether or not they are eye predators. May I continue? Please do. Okay, thank you, Ms. Helene. So the first, which is obvious living in the information age, is the usage of ICT to obtain, tamper with, exchange, or deliver harmful information. ICT is the acronym for Information and Communications Technology, and that basically includes all electronic devices from the old school telephone to social media. So ICT includes all of that. So that is the first criteria, is the use of electronic and Internet devices. Number two is a self-awareness of causing harms to others directly or indirectly using ICT. So if you're a person, you know that you're going to use social media, you're going to use, let's say, a platform like Instagram or Facebook to defame and to character assassinate another online user, well, you now meet the second criteria, you have a self-awareness. The third criteria is a general understanding of what I call cyber stealth, which is to, it's used to engage in criminal or deviant activities or to profile, locate, stalk, or engage a target. Okay, now cyber stealth, um, for some, they m may want to maintain anonymity so that if I'm targeting Ms. Lillian uh, and I don't want you to know my identity, my cyber stealth, I would come up with a different name. I would be Joe Johnson from Wisconsin. But cyber stealth is also a form of online deception that is used to manipulate and control the target that you're going after. So if you meet those three criteria, you are an iPredator. All right. So that would also include uh, the bunch of people, whether they're men or women, I may add, ladies and gentlemen, that go after and target victims to scam them. Yes, ma'am. Well, I, I, if I may real quickly, I'll give your listeners the eight uh, types or categories. So I've just given you the three criteria. But the categories, eight of them, are cyber bullies, cyber harassers, cyber stalkers, cyber criminals, internet trolls, cyber terrorists, online predators, and to me the most depraved of all is the online child pornography consumer distributor. Those eight typologies are, who, are what make up the iPredator concept. Now when we look at the three criteria as we discussed uh, briefly, there's also a subconcept to to iPredator, and we don't. Maybe we can talk about it at a later time. And I call that iPredator Bridge. And these are people that use social media and the internet to harm others, but they're not motivated by criminal or deviant uh, uh, reasons. The iPredator Bridge person is harming others, but they're motivated by self-righteousness, their distorted belief in moral turpitude, their ideological convictions, or what I call pro-social perceptual distortions. So iPredator Bridge is another huge contingent of online assailant that is attacking, let's say, Ms. Lillian, not because I'm looking to steal from you, not because I'm looking to, you know, molest you, uh, but I am engaging in online character assassination because 
I don't like your religion. I don't like your political beliefs. Uh, uh, you and I had a fallout at work. So I Predator Bridge is another, continu- is another segment of the I Predator online assailant population. Okay, so what motivates these people to take the airway? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. I, I mean, as you know, Ms. Lillian, we live in the information age. Uh, you know, prior to the information age, they say the information age, you know, began roughly uh, in the early 80s, anywhere from 1980 to 1983. Prior to that, from the beginning of human civilization, there was bullying, there was crime, there was sexual molestation, um, there was all the horrific evil things that people and groups do to one another. Well, what happens is, in the early 80s, you know, is along comes cyberspace. Now, what is cyberspace? Cyberspace is defined as an abstract electronic environment. It's not real. The the cyberspace, the digital universe is made up of billions, if not trillions of connections. But we, as part of being people, being human, we tend to treat this as an actual environment. So when people go online, they begin to read things, they see things, and not always, but if you're not careful, you'll begin to believe it. And that is one of the, you know, the aspects that I'm hoping to one day be able to figure out is why do, become, why do people become more angry online? Why do people be, you know, behave, feel more traumatized when they're online? I've, I've got my ideas, but I certainly don't have any proof. But all I can say to you and our list, your listeners is welcome to the information age. Is it like, uh, this may be a far, but... I like watching the paranormal shows when I need a good laugh and I need to be amused, I turn them on. And one of the things they were saying about some of the creatures that are coming into being is they say that people create them out of their mind. And that the more people believe in what's been created, eventually they can bring them to light. That is, well, that, you sound, I should be calling you Dr. Carl Jung. I don't know if you know about Carl Jung. Oh, Uh, yes. Carl Jung is that who? Carl Jung is one of my idols. Uh, Carl Jung, Alfred Adler, where I did my doctorate degree at Adler University. I'm also very Adlerian, but in relationship to what you're talking about is this idea of fantasy and dissociating. Carl Jung believed from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep, we are dissociating and fantasizing now not necessarily sexually but for instance when you're driving in your car and going from point a to point b most of that time in that time period of driving from point a to point b you're not focusing on actually driving the accelerator the brake the you know eight and two whatever the uh, you know the steering was you're focusing on everything else about paying bills about your work day about your husband about your wife your mind is in a complete different place other than driving that applies to everything in our life so now you take that and you apply that to online and one of the things, if I've got a moment, I'd like to introduce, which I feel is very important. It is the concept of odor, O-D-D-O-R. 
And what that is, is offline distress dictates online response. And what that means is however my offline life is going, whether I'm happy, I'm sad, whether I'm addicted, whether I'm whatever my offline uh, psychological functioning is doing on a day-to-day basis, I believe, I can't prove it yet, has a direct impact on how I disseminate information, how I exchange information, and how I compile and perceive information. So if I'm not a happy guy, let's say, forgive me for being, you know, uh, quick, uh, I'm going to go online. Now, that doesn't mean I, I'm, not nece- I'm not necessarily going to be, uh, you know, <laughs> a mean man, but I'm going to perceive things very differently. And to me, offline distress dictates online response is the beginning of what I believe is trying to understand the psychology of, of social media and the information age is how do we respond, how do we interact with this abstract place called cyberspace? Uh, you've opened up a lot of doors for me. We do need to talk again because it reminds me something I was introduced in the 50s. I don't know whether it came from the twilight zone or something else. Probably did. But the idea was is that if you filled a stadium with everybody and told everybody to think to kill a certain person, kind of like a gladiator setup, uh-huh. and if everybody thought the word death, it would kill the guy. Okay. Well, the, <laughs> well, there are some, and, I, and not that I'm a proponent of it. I don't know. And it's called the laws of attraction. <clears throat> Carl Jung called it, let's say, the collective unconscious. But using your example, real quickly, a slight departure for what you're talking about. But what I believe is the online assailant, and also in a pre-information age world. So this is pre-information age, and this is now. It is the psychology of the individual that is, you know, despondent, maybe psychiatric, angry, rageful, sexually deviant, let's just say dysfunctioned. I believe that that person becomes psychologically isolated. Now, using your example, if a person is psychologically isolated, you could put them into Yankee Stadium with all the seats filled, and that person being psychologically isolated, they still feel alone. Because in their mind and in their heart, they don't feel validated, they don't feel recognized, and this is the Adlerian part, they don't feel part of a group. When that begins, that is when the person, you know, through psychological isolation, begins to become more angry, rageful, despondent, both destructive and self-destructive. Gotcha. Uh, I think this is fascinating, but we're kind of straying a bit. So when you have the cyber uh, bullying, for example, are these the kind of guys that are gals that also are isolated within their minds and striking out? Well, if I may, Ms. Lillian, is that when it comes to the eight types of online aggression, uh, online aggressors, here in the United States, and I, I haven't officially, you know, over in Europe, but cyberbullying here in the United States is considered a, a pediatric phenomenon. Cyberbullying occurs among children, so it's child-on-child abuse. 
the adult form of online bullying or cyberbullying would either be cyber harassment, uh, internet trolling, or cyber stalking, and they have, you know, differences within them. So, but when it comes to any of the online assailants, I truly believe there is a process of psychological, uh, you know, uh, isolation. But if I may, when you move into the realm of the online child predator and the online child pornography consumer distributor, it is no longer just about uh, psychological isolation. It now takes on severe, which, which is called pedophilia, you know, uh, pedophile, takes on an entire different realm of psychiatric dysfunction. All right. Is that also association? I recently interviewed a lady who wrote a book about sexting on girls or boys, doesn't uh-huh. matter girls or gentlemen, where they take, they say things sexually, so what I would call soft porn. Yep. But then we live in a soft pornography world now in the United States anyway, which people don't seem to figure out too well. So they're already involved in soft porn, so doing it all on the phone and talking to their boyfriend or some guy or some girl or some girl for a girl-girl or a guy-guy or whatever type of relationship, they do not equate what they're doing as wrong. I should just send you a marketing because <laughs> you're validating my theory and everything. Exactly, Ms. Lillian. They are, the, the two terms that are, are trending, and I would not wish them on my, my worst enemy, is extortion and revenge porn. And all of those two elements involve sexually, you know, suggestive information. Quickly, sextortion is is that I contact you. I have been able to compile sexually themed content, and that could be anything from, as you're saying, sexting content all the way to images, and then the worst of the worst is actual uh, videotape. Under sextortion, I now blackmail you, and then I say either you pay me a large sum of money or the other part of sextortion is Either you pay me more, pay me money, or I want you to do more videos or more images that you need to send to me. That is extortion, and I can all, I've in my volunteer work I have helped people that have been extortion, and I, I Ms. Lillian, I, I feel so pain. You know, it's just I can't imagine what that must feel like to be targeted by somebody, not knowing who it is. Um, and having to deal with the reality, because what the the eye predator does in sextortion, he says, if you don't give me money or if you don't give me additional sexual content, I will send my content, I'll send it to your husband, to your wife, to your job, to your college, to your children, to your family, and to your church. So this is how, how traumatizing sextortion can be. Revenge porn, this is for those, and again, You know, I understand love. I understand how, you know, technology and being able to sext and send sexy images and videos to one another. But the thing is, is God forbid if you break up or you divorce. And if it ends in an adversarial breakup, there is a probability of what is now called revenge porn. So, Ms. Lilling, you and I break up, and I suspect you of cheating on me. So now what I do is I take all that sexually-themed information that we've compiled over the last five years, and I now send it to your job. 
That is revenge porn. Those two elements are very serious and really can ruin a person's life. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's no place really you can run to, and Mars is still a long way off. (laughs) Exactly, Brazilian. You have to either go and see somebody to help them. Now, I know from doing research on scandals that involve people preying on women or other vulnerable people to get money from them, there are places on the Internet, folks, that you can go to that can help you solve these problems. The military has something set up. So if you have somebody posing in the military, they can help you out. There's another place where if they scammed you out of money, and you can go to this, this place, and I'll email me, LSC at Passionate World Talk Radio. I'll be more than happy to share the information with you because they have set this up for people who've been targeted like this. And trust me, you're not the only fish in the sea that's gotten caught in their nets. These people are what I call professional predators. And they're kind of like a door-to-door salesman. They'll keep on doing it until they get a sale. They'll do their thing, and then they'll move on to the next door. You should know. And you are 100. And as Dr. Michael Nucitelli, the father of this wonderful theory, I agree with you 110%. You are spot on, Ms. Lillian, with what you just said. Well, you know, I've learned the hard way. And what did I do? I went cold turkey. That's the only way I know how to do things anyway, ladies and gentlemen. I don't just tip my uh, toe in the water. I just broke it off once I realized what the age was really going on. But not everybody can just break it off. That's how I handle things. That's how my mother and everybody in her family used to handle things. So I guess it's Mm -hmm. in our DNA. If you feel like you can't do that, find somebody who can help you do that. Well, and if I may, you bring up an excellent point, Ms. Lillian, and quickly, I'll be very quick, which is at my website, my Internet Addiction Risk Checklist. That's one of them. One of the things that will be interesting to see, not only will there be an increase in online aggression, but will there be an increase in what is being touted as Internet addiction, Internet use disorder, or also called for gamers, Internet use gaming disorder? And it will be interesting to see if after we get out of this COVID, you know, are people actually Internet addicted? And real quick, if you want to know if you're Internet addicted, very easy. Do you suffer negative consequences from your online time and online usage? For instance, many of us, all professionals now, and those of us living in the information age, we are reliant upon the Internet. But if you're an individual who is now being confronted by your loved ones or you're getting in trouble at your job, uh, possibly you fail a test in school, if you begin to suffer negative consequences from your online usage, there is a good chance that you may be Internet addicted. And if you are, take steps now. Talk to your parents. Talk to somebody you trust at college. Talk to your pastor if you go to church. There's always somebody out there that will take the time to listen to you, I have a bunch of friends who look out for me all the time. And if I don't tell myself, they will. They all gang up and say, Lillian, no, 
<laughs> because they don't interfere in my life unless they really feel like I have strayed from the intended path. Right. So people should have friends like that because sometimes it's very difficult to say no to yourself. So you need somebody who is not involved emotionally, subjectly, as they say, who has nothing to lose or to gain. They are just there to say no. That's their job. I'm going to wrap up this interview with Michael. However, we will have him on again because there's a lot of stuff that I still have unresolved that needs to be talked about, and I know my audience feels the same way. So you can hear this interview all over again on https colon forward slash forward slash passionateworldtalkradio.com forward slash blog. You can hear it on Spreaker, iTunes, iHeart, on Amazon, Alexa. You can also hear it on Podchaser, on Twitter, on Facebook, YouTube. You name it, we're there. So there's no excuse. And, in fact, I have a radio station called radio.gov where I have a player on the website. You can go and listen to this interview as many times as you want to. Take notes if you feel like you need to. And before we go away and stray, Victor Hugo had this to say in the mid-19th century, friend is sometimes a word devoid of meaning. Never. I want to thank everybody very much for listening. And remember, please keep listening and wear those masks. 